All right, everybody. Well, once again, good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to your seats. Come back in. Find your seats. And uh, while you're doing so, I, I will explain. Uh, earlier, I mentioned that the, the podium is gone. Obviously, you see that. Um, it's, uh, I, I removed it because I, I like to be a walker. So I was thinking if you came in and you saw the church, uh, saw the, the stage and the podium's missing, and so I told first service, um, and it, you know, you're, you're stumbled over that, and you, you're thinking about leaving the church, and you want to try... Um, uh, you know, complaining about it, I would gladly receive your emails. Uh, my email address is Pastor Jim at CalvaryTheRock.org, and I'm sure there will be a prompt to reply to you. Yeah, I told Pastor Jim, I said, I, I think I'm going to move the podium, and he's like, what? You're going to move the podium? And I'm like, yeah, because I, I like to walk around. That's how I think. That's how I have conversations, especially with myself, and so... Um, that's what I'm going to do. So we'll, we'll see. When Pastor Ross finds out about it, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's like an anchor for him, which uh, is great. Um, but I need, to, I need to roam. Look at all this stage. There's plenty of room to meander around here. So uh, the podium will be back in its place. I assure you of that. Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 11 for this morning's passage. And as you're turning there, We'll turn our hearts and eyes to the Lord once more. And Lord, we do thank you for your word. This is your word. You've told us that this is not done by the hands of men, although you used faithful men to write it out as your instruments, but this is the living, breathing word of God. And it has the power to transform us from the inside out. And Lord, you're able to reveal yourself to us in special ways and you're able to do work in us that can't be done any other, in any other way except for by your revelation and our faith and you can make us a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. That's what your word does and so as we open it, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive your word and that it would do a powerful work in our lives. We expect when we open your word for you to tell us something to show us something, to teach us something, to correct us, to instruct us in righteousness, to affirm us, whatever the need is, your word provides that for us. And so we thank you for this time of Bible study, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at that, I wandered over here in the during, my, during my prayer. Surprised I didn't fall off the stage. I'm pretty good. I told the first service that would be really nice, you know, the first time the podium's ever removed from the stage and I'm thinking it's cool and everything and then all of a sudden I fall off the stage. It'll be like a, a ban to never remove the podium from the stage again. It, it protects the pastor from falling down in the crowd, crowd surfing around. The, yeah, that'd be bad. <clears throat> And so this morning, as we mentioned, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you a little bit of context for our passage this morning. We're actually in uh, the high school group. For those of you who don't know, I do uh, the youth ministry here, uh, student ministry, junior high and high school. We're the ones that are going to be needing the helmets uh, uh, for broomball on the ice. Uh, it's a dangerous sport, but it's a lot of fun. 
Um, and uh, in the high school group, we're actually in the book of Hebrews uh, right now. And so every service or every time we meet together and we open the, the book of Hebrews together, I always ask them uh, a certain question and, it's a, and I've told them the answer. And so by now they should know the answer. And so I ask them in review, before we get into this passage, what is the book of Hebrews about? What song does the book of Hebrews sing? And they reply... Anything you can do, Jesus can do better. (laughs) Jesus can do anything better than you. And that's really the message of Hebrews. And And it's given in a very profound way. So understand this, the Hebrews... The first uh, Christians were Jews and they came to Christ. They stepped out of the shadow of Judaism. They stepped out of the old covenant, the way that God had declared he would have a relationship with his people and they stepped into this new relationship with God, which God told them was coming. There will be a new covenant and I will dwell in your hearts and it'll be through the, the work of the Messiah. And so he told them there was a new covenant coming and that would be the substance and the substance is Christ. And so these early Christians were coming to Christ. I mean, they, their early uh, Jews were coming to Christ and their hearts were being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were seeing miraculous things. They were being transformed. People's lives were, were being changed. You know, the Apostle Paul, we're looking at, in the, uh, at his life in the book of Acts. Miraculous, from a Christian killer to a Christian maker. That was the life of the Apostle Paul. And so these wonderful things are happening. But there were also some things that were happening that weren't so wonderful. And there began to be persecution. And the book of Hebrews tells us that the Jews um, began, that, that became Christians, they began to experience things like having their, um, their uh, property confiscated. They were separated from family members. Uh, they uh, were even risked losing their lives because of this new faith in Christ, the new covenant. And so some of them were tempted to withdraw and go back to the shadow of Judaism. It was just a symbol of what was to come. That's what the the law of Moses, that's what the law, the prophets, uh, and um, the works of the Old Testament were pointing to, this reality of Christ, that someday the shadow that's coming down the hallway would appear in substance, and no longer would we need to put our faith in the shadow, but we can put our faith in the substance, for when the shadow comes, there's no reason to continue looking at the shadow, or when the substance comes, there's no reason to continue looking at the shadow. We now have the substance, And so that's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Don't turn back because you have the substance of Christ. Don't go back to Moses. Don't go back to Judaism because the fulfillment is found in Christ. And life may be hard, but you need to look at at the big picture. God is doing a work and he wants to complete that work in you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Christ is a better person. He's better than the prophets in Hebrews chapter one. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. He's, he's a better priesthood. He's better than the priesthood, uh, the, the Levitical priesthood. And he's better than um, the, uh, the temple. And he's better than the articles of worship in the temple. And he's better than the sacrifices that are brought to the temple and placed on the altar. And he's better than the blood that was spilled by these sacrifices because the blood of bulls and goats could not remove sin. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so what do we do? We need something better. 
And Christ's blood speaks a better word because it has the power to cleanse us, to wash us from sin, and to give us that hope of eternal life, that true hope. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back to those things. You need to continue in the faith that you began in once you called upon the name of Christ. Remember those things and continue in them. And you need to understand what faith is, what true faith is. And that brings us to our passage. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try to better understand faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, we'll look at verses one through six for our passage this morning. Beginning there in verse one. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. So that's going to be the passage for our reflection this morning. And I've broken it up just like any good teacher of the word pastor would do into three points. And uh, the three points, the first point is an explanation of faith. And that's verses one through three. An explanation of faith. And that really, that's the main point. The other two are kind of sub points, but um, I needed three points, so I, I gave you three points. We're going to spend most of our time looking at the first points, just so you know. So when we're still in verse one and however much three hours have gone by or whatever, then you know that we you know, uh, uh, don't have much further to go. The first point is explanation of faith, an explanation of faith. The second point is expressions of faith. And the third point is an expectation of faith. So explanation of faith, expressions of faith, expectation of faith. So not only do I have three points, but I also, I'll, I'll start with exp. And so that's kind of cool too. That's just something creative pastors do. You know. <laughs> An explanation of faith. In verse one, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. A lot of people see this as a definition of faith. And it has a lot to, to say about what faith is. Uh, but it's not merely a definition. It's more of a description of faith, and, and, and not only what faith is, but what faith does. And we're gonna pick this verse apart a little bit. I looked into uh, the Greek words, and I was kind of fascinated, and I wasn't planning on spending that much time in this verse, but as I looked into the words that are represented here, I thought it would be nice to understand this. And one of the reasons is because um, I think people may have trouble understanding this verse. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the most famous verses regarding what faith is in the Bible. It gives us the clearest description uh, but for some people, I think it's hard to understand. And I was actually talking to Pastor Ross, and when I told him that I'd settled on this passage for Sunday service, he said, oh, good. I, I, you know, and, and kind of joking, he said, I was hoping that one day somebody would explain what that verse means to me. 
And I thought, well, if you don't know, how am I going to know what it is? And so, of course, he was joking, but I think that's the way people feel sometimes. It's a really cool verse, and it sounds really cool, but what does it actually mean? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I'm going to repeat this verse as we go along, uh, just because I think it's such an important verse, and as we understand it, we can also internalize it and maybe even memorize it uh, for our needs and for our use. And so we'll start with the word faith and we'll just kind of break down the sentence here. The word faith in the Greek simply means a conviction of the truth of anything. It's belief. It's being convinced that something is true. That's what faith is. Now, we have a biblical faith and Warren Wearsby, he says this. Let's see if we can get this up there. Boom, look at that. We've got technology, you know. Why, why shouldn't we use it? If we got the thing, let's use it. We, well, we also have a disco ball, so I don't know if we're going to use that. We're going to have a Ross, Pastor Ross testimony night or something, but um, he got saved in the disco in case you didn't know. It's funny. We're, Warren Wiersbe says this of faith. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. In other words, faith says I will obey God no matter what is happening, and no matter what is going to happen, no matter what the, what the circumstances are, no matter what the consequences are, faith says, I will believe what God has said and I will respond according to that belief. And, you know, one of the things that faith does for us is it gives us the, uh, the power to be able to be obedient to God. We have, we're powerless in regards to obedience. The Bible, the Bible says that um, those who sin are slaves to sin. And in our sinful nature, without being regenerated by the Spirit of God, we are destined to sin because that's who we are. We don't um, sin, uh, we, <clears throat> we don't have a sinful nature because we sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature. It's what we're good at. It's what we were programmed by our ancestors uh, Adam and Eve to do is to rebel against God. That's what we were programmed for. And it's, it's the spirit of God that comes into our life through faith in Christ that changes that and we receive the spirit of God. And of course, the Christian life is about those two, those two natures warring uh, with each other. But as we spend time with God and we spend time in his word, then we're able to, by the nature of the spirit, uh, put to death the deeds of the fleshly nature, the sinful nature. And so the power to obey God comes through faith. In Romans chapter one and verse five, click, click, there it is. Uh, Paul says this, he says, through Jesus and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Where does obedience come from? It says right here, it comes from faith. Now, I was telling first service that I really like, I'm, I enjoy math, and somebody came at, to me afterwards and said, oh, you enjoy math, I wanna send you this and that and YouTube, and I said, I said I enjoy math, and I didn't say I know much about it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not that, I'm not that good at it, but okay, I'll take that. But I enjoy math, and uh, the, you know, 
uh, it's true that we can't fit God into a formula and we can't really figure him out in regards to uh, his own creation and the things that he, he gave us, but it's really neat when I come across things that I consider little formulas in the scripture. And you can find and you can connect the dots of how one thing becomes another thing. And that's the case here with faith. Obedience comes from faith. So if you wanna know how to obey God, then you need to know that it starts with faith. It starts with faith. And we'll talk more about uh, that as well and where, where faith comes from. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we looked at the word faith. Now let's look at the word that's used here for sure. The word that's used for sure is a Greek word, um, and, and the Greek word is hypostasis. And it's a word that we use today. In fact, it's a scientific term. And uh, it's, uh, if you think about it in terms of science or experiments, it's the substance that's left over when you've done an experiment, like if you've put uh, chemicals in a test tube and you've tried to figure out what those chemicals are going to make, whatever you end up in the end it, with in the end is the hypostasis. And that is the substance that's left over. It's a reality. And uh, it's, a, it's a structure. In fact, uh, the word means a substructure, a foundation, that which really exists. Literally, it mean, hypo means under and, and stasis means standing. So it literally means understanding. Now we think of understanding as our perception, our discernment, um, being able to relate to certain things. Uh, but the, the root of the word is really a, it, it's really a foundational word. It's what gives foundation to our perception. And that's what faith is. It's a foundation. Now, there's a foundation on the house that Katie and I rent, and uh, um, I can't see the foundation, but I know that it's there by faith. The foundation is hidden by trim and siding and, and skirts uh, on the, the building there, and so I can't, I can't see the foundation, but I know by faith that there's a foundation there because my house hasn't fallen down. Um, and also, there's a little bit more proof outside of my house, right across the driveway, there's this house that somebody began to build. They built the foundation, they put the subflooring in, and then they stopped. I don't know if it was because uh, they didn't count the cost or there was permitting issues or whatever, but the foundation is there, and um, I can see the foundation, and it's a solid structure. It's a substance. And I've walked across the subflooring, and it's all rotted out, and I almost fell through and broke my leg, but... Um, <laughs> They put up no trespassing signs, which is good because I could kill myself over there, probably. So, um, <clears throat> so we have this substance as a foundation for our faith. That's what substance is. Now, there's another Greek word that's really uh, similar to hypostasis, and it's the word hypothesis, and we know what that is. Hypothesis, though, is a lot different than, than the word that's used here. Hypothesis is more like an educated guess or um, uh, deciding something based on the probability that it's true. And that's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is being sure that it's true. It's having a substance. There is a substance. It's a reality. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we looked at faith. We looked at the word sure. Now let's look at the word hope. In the Greek, the word is elpizo. And this word simply means to wait for with joyful confidence. To wait for with joyful confidence. That's the biblical meaning of hope. You know that it's going to happen. It's not the type of hope that the world calls upon. The world calls upon hope by saying, I hope this will happen, I hope this will happen, but there's really no substance or structure or evidence that it will. 
You know, things like, it gets pretty close with, I hope I get that job. Now, if, if, you, did, if, you, did a, if you had a good interview and uh, your application and your resume look nice and you were the only one that applied for the job, it's pretty likely that you might, you might get it. But, um, but the world uses the, the, the word hope in this way. And I mean, I do too, just because I'm used to it, but I don't think of true hope in that way. You know, the world says things like, I, I hope I get the job. I hope I don't get caught I hope the Cardinals win the World Series, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, I hope she doesn't think I'm a creeper, you know. These, this is the way that the world uses hope. But the Bible says that hope is a confident expectation. It's almost like saying, it has happened, whatever you hope for, it has happened, just not yet. And I know that sounds silly, but that's the way that God sees things. He gives us glimpses of the future. He gives us glimpses of the reality of what's going to take place. And we can know because he's done that before and those things have come true. And so we can know by faith that whatever he said about things yet to come are going to come and we can see them by faith. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But the reality is, is that he has revealed them to us even the, like the book of Revelation. To God, it's already happened. For us, it just hasn't happened yet. This is biblical hope, and one day hope will pass away because our hope will be fulfilled. There won't be any need for it. Same thing with faith. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love because love will endure. And so we see this, <clears throat> um, this hope uh, uh, is, um, it's the embodiment of this hope is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the person of hope. He is hope himself. In fact, Paul says this in the opening uh, sentence of his letter, first letter to Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Christ is our hope. We have hope for a lot of things, but the reality of our hope is Christ, the person of Christ. He is our hope. He is everything. The Bible says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. This is our hope. This is the Christian hope that it's, and it's not a, I cross my fingers, I hope this will happen. It's a confident expectation. It's a knowledge that it has happened and it will happen. That's the Christian hope. That's a wonderful hope. It's a blessed hope. As it says here, Jesus is our hope and he and his word are the substance of our faith. So if faith has substance, the substance of that faith is the word of God, and the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we looked at faith, we looked at sure, we looked at hope. Let's look at the word certain. In the Greek, the word is elenkos. And elenkos means that by which a thing is proved or tested. Conviction. That by which invisible things are proved and we are convinced of their reality. 
That's what this word means. It's like evidence. In fact, it's a legal term. And the term uh, means evidence that is accepted for conviction. And so we have the scientific term in the word sure that tells us that we can be sure in a scientific way, in a scientific manner, science. Uh, the word science simply means knowledge by observation and experiment. That's what the word science means. We can observe and know because these things have been proved true and there's evidence, the legal term, evidence that is accepted for conviction. And so, um, and this is exactly how the, the King James Version puts it, by the way. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to say this, I, I mentioned this in, in first service, but um, I had a conversation, you know, I'll start with this. There's a lot of people that think that faith is not logical. In fact, the world, you know, I've heard um, critics uh, of faith and atheists say that really all faith is is um, an illogical belief in the impossible and things like that. It's believing in something without evidence. That's not what biblical faith is. And uh, there was a conversation, there was two policemen that came that, um, uh, to the church here, something had happened uh, nearby, and so um, they were asking us questions, and so we were talking uh, with them, and uh, turns out one of the policemen was a believer, and the other one wasn't, he was an atheist. And so um, we got in a conversation with them, one thing led to another, we started sharing the gospel, as, as Pastor Ross and I talking to these two guys, and as we're sharing the gospel, the believer was kind of like, yeah, get him, you know, uh, sick sick him. And, uh, and it started to get, you know, kind of heated and that kind of thing, and the atheist says, you know what, guys, I'm done with this conversation uh, because it just doesn't make sense. Faith in God is illogical. And his partner, who was a believer, said this. He said, you're right. It's not logical. And then I said, no, you're not right. <laughs> it is logical. It is logical. Faith in God is reasonable and it's logical. But at some point, our faith uh, leaves the, the realm of logic which we understand and it transcends logic. It goes beyond logic because logic for us is being able to discuss things or think about things in ways that we can understand and there are things about God that we can't understand. But we can't understand this, that faith is logical because nothing in regard to the Bible contradicts our um, experience here uh, of truth. Truth is absolute, the Bible teaches that. As soon as you say truth isn't absolute, you've made an absolute truth, so you defeat yourself in, in, in saying that. Truth is absolute and it's knowable. And the definition of truth is um, that which exists in reality, um, that which pertains to reality as it exists. That's truth. And truth is knowable. And the truth of God's word doesn't contradict our experience. It doesn't contradict our history. It doesn't contradict um, our archaeology. It doesn't contradict any of these things. It is true. Now, people come to their own conclusions based on presuppositions that, that, that there is no God and they're able to determine their own fate. People can do that. But in the end, we all have the same evidence. Nobody's looking at fossils that other people aren't looking at. Nobody's looking at a different earth. We all have the same evidence. We come to different conclusions based on our presuppositions. And so who has, uh, who has the, the best conclusion is the reality. This is how faith works. Faith is, uh, <clears throat> contains evidence. It has evidence. And a number of years ago when I was at Bible college, we took a trip to, um, to Utah 
and we spent several days there, and uh, we went to Salt Lake City, and we went to, um, we went to a, f- a few different places, but one of the places we visited was Temple Square uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, one of the buildings that we went to was um, the uh, Joseph Smith Memorial Building. And we're walking around inside this building, beautiful building, and this wonderful lady was giving us a tour of this place. And we're walking around, and all on the walls, there were these beautiful paintings of, uh, of supposed events and people that had taken place in the Book of Mormon. Now, I've read through the Book of Mormon almost entirely, and uh, so I was um, familiar with a lot of these things. And I started looking at these, at these paintings and, and these, um, these events and these people and um, knowing that the account uh, had taken place in the Americas um, of these things. And so I just said, I, you know, excuse me, ma'am, I have a, I have a question. And she said, yeah, a big smile on her face. And I said, I said, um, I've noticed all these paintings and, and I know that, that the Book of Mormon, uh, uh, you know, it, it accounts uh, all these various wars and people groups and, and cities and all these things that had taken place. I'm just wondering, has there ever been any archaeological evidence um, to, to show this? And it was a sincere question I was asking. I wasn't trying to be defined. I was asking, has, has there ever been any archaeological evidence discovered um, to, to spread this? And her, her countenance just changed and she looked with, at me with eyes that could kill and she said, and she said, we don't need evidence to, for our faith. Our faith doesn't need evidence. I said, okay, you know, I'm not gonna get in a fist fight with you here. I'm just asking <laughs> a sincere question. And, uh, and you know, and, and, and to a certain degree, that's fine. You don't need to have evidence to have faith in something. You don't need to have evidence to have faith in something. People have faith in things all the time without evidence. But I... I'm the type of person, I want evidence. When I came uh, to know the Lord, um, many of you heard, the first thing that I said to Pastor Ross is, I have a lot of questions. Because I've been taught, I've been told, I've read so many things about the truth, about who we are and how we got here. I don't want the wool pulled over my eyes by some religious superstition. And he said, well, the Bible has a lot of answers. And that began my journey of finding those answers in, in the scripture. But I needed evidence. I needed evidence for my faith. And you don't have to have evidence for faith. But if your faith contradicts the evidence that is there, then it's time to rethink your faith because it shouldn't be contradicting what we have and what we see. And so we don't need evidence for faith, but our faith provides us evidence. We went on the trip to Israel. A bunch of us from the church went over to the land of Israel. We visited the sites and cities that are recorded in the Bible. We went to the places where these events took place. We saw archaeology that confirms the truth and the validity of scripture. Um, We got to go to to, uh, what most people believe is the place where Jesus was crucified there at the place of the skull. Many of you saw that, the Israel night that we had, the photos. Um, We got to go to what what most people believe is the the empty tomb where Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And of course he raised from the dead and he came from there. And as you look at the Bible and you look at the account of how these things happen and that Jesus really raised from the dead and critics have all kinds of theories as to how we can get around the, the idea that this man might have rose from the dead. But the scripture, if you look in the nooks and crannies of the scripture, it just completely eliminates all of those thoughts. And not only scripture, but extra biblical things as well. And so it's true. The Bible is true and we have evidence to support our um, our belief. We have evidence to support our faith. And so 
We're not left without evidence. We're not being called to make a blind leap in the dark. And so, um, I don't know where I am in my notes. Too many stories. No anchor, I know. I need my podium. I would, I would, I would know exactly what's going on. It's my notes' fault because it's like all these colors and stuff, and I, I, I don't know. Notes, I just throw them. You guys don't make stuff up. Just kidding. Do that. Um, I know where we are. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we've looked at the word faith. We've looked at the word sure. We've looked at the word hope. We've looked at the word certain. And so we're going to finish this verse by looking at the word see. The word see in the Greek is blepo, and it means to see. So that's easy. It means to see, to discern of the bodily eye. It simply means to see. That's, that's what it means. Now, um, what, the, what the verse is saying is that there are things that exist, there are realities, there are truths about God uh, that we can't see, but we have evidence of them. And so we can reasonably and logically place our faith in them. But I was thinking about, you know, sight is so important to us. It's, it's so important. And I was thinking about how, how we actually are able to see. Now, I'm not a, a doctor or a scientist by profession, but I know a little bit about how these things work, mostly because of the internet. And so um, I looked some things up because I'm not really a smart person um, and I need other smart people to tell me. So um, they tell me that, uh, that sight uh, it's a complex process, but it begins with light. We think about light. That's how it begins. Now, your eye captures light either from the source, whether it's the sun or a light bulb or a firefly or a deep sea anglerfish. Um, you know, and I know it sounds random, but it comes into play later. Uh, <laughs> a deep sea anglerfish. If you don't know what one of those are, it's you know, it's it's crazy. You need to you need to see. They're ugly. Um, we'll talk about it. <clears throat> we'll talk about it in, in a in a little bit. So our light capture, our eyes capture light from the source, or it captures light that is reflecting off of another object, and that's how we see things. And if it weren't for light, we wouldn't be able to see. Now. The, when we look into the things of the eye and how sight works and how all, these, uh, these, uh, all this information is sent to the brain and then it's projected somewhere in our, in our brain and we actually can perceive the reality which our eyes are looking at, uh, it's amazing. And it sounds like a modern idea that um, we need light to see. That's how we see, but it's not. The Bible has already told us that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. God told us that how these things work already. It's the same with faith, and that's the point here. It's the same with faith. What makes the substance, the evidence of our faith visible? It's the light of God's word, and that's how it works. The light of God's word. We see through eyes of faith by the light of God's word. That's how we're able to live by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes when we're going on an event, I told the students, I'm gonna drive by faith and not by sight. They don't, <laughs> they don't like that too much. Um, for God said, for God said, for God, I'm sorry, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God is the source of light 
He's called that all throughout scripture. I believe that he's created lights and the ability to see as an, uh, an illustration of what faith is, that he is the light of the world and apart from him there is no light. Men walk around in darkness. They prefer the darkness because their evil deeds are done in darkness but when the light comes into the world it makes visible, it exposes the realities of our existence and the realities of our sin. That's what the light of Christ does and the knowledge of the glory of God um, shines in the face of Christ through faith in our hearts. It's like the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God so that the people of God may see the Son of God and trust Him to the glory of God. That's what the light of faith does. It helps us to see Jesus more clearly and then to walk in love and in truth as we have our relationship with Him. And then once we have this light, we then hold it out for others. Jesus told us to do this. He said, you don't take a lamp and turn it on and hide it under a basket or under a bed. You put it out. You, um, you um, use that light uh, to expose the things that you can't see. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And... Um, um, we live a life of faith and by our faith we are saved through grace. It is, not the, it is not by our own works but it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. That's how we receive grace, by the way, is through faith. And uh, this faith, uh, um, this grace is given to us simply by our faith and trusting in the Lord and it's a gift. Salvation is a free gift. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. In fact, the Bible says you could never do that. The best works of man are like filthy rags before the Lord. This is the problem with us. This is the problem with the world. We underestimate the holiness of God. And we underestimate the sinfulness of man. And we miss the point that God is completely holy, he's completely perfect, and nothing imperfect or unholy can dwell with him. That's why in our sin we are separated from him. We are contrary to his nature. We can't dwell with him, we can't exist with him, and he longs for us to return to that place where we can be reconciled to him, and that's why he gave his son for us. The best thing that he could ever give, the greatest thing, you know, I'm a new father. My, my son just turned four months old and, and um, he's so adorable. He's so, he's so cute. And people say that about all babies, but this baby, he's, he, just, he just is. Even if babies aren't cute, people say that, but this, this baby, this baby, he's cute. I don't know where he gets it. The rest of the family. My, uh, you know, by the way, I was gonna say, my, it's my birthday today. And uh, thank you. And uh, so, some of my family surprised me by coming to visit. So my mom and, and uh, sister and, and niece and uh, brother are here. And so that was a, that was a pleasant surprise. And so um, what I was saying, though, not to quench the, the mood, but I have this son, and I love my son to pieces. He's only four months old. And I, my heart is just, I just love him. I love him so much. I would never never sacrifice his life for somebody else, never. Especially the, the unrighteous and the wicked and evildoers. I would never do that. But that's what, Je that's what God did through his son Jesus. He did that for us. 
Okay, let's get happy now. (laughs) He rose from the dead, so we have cause to celebrate and to rejoice. He shines his light in us through faith, and through that faith, we obtain salvation. And then, in the midst of salvation, we do good deeds. It's a response. It's a response. It's not faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith equals salvation plus works. That's how the formula works. We, we have works. It's evidence of our faith being demonstrated through our life. We let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. And so this is where the, the anglerfish comes back in. And... Uh, I was thinking, because I read about this interesting creature, I don't know if you've ever looked into it, I don't know why you would, um, but if you're bored someday, you can, and um, I was thinking that we are sort of like the deep sea anglerfish in more ways than one, and uh, um, in one of the ways that we're not is that the deep sea anglerfish is ugly as sin. It is one of the ugliest creatures. Oh, look, there's a picture of it. That's from Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Uh, that's kind of what it looks like, except for in real life, it even looks worse. A cartoon made it look good for, uh, somehow. Yeah, thank you for that. That's the deep sea anglerfish. You, you can leave him up there, actually. He's kind of cute. Um, uh, like I said, in, in some ways, I think in more ways than one, we're like the deep sea anglerfish. Now, I actually read this. This is a quote from one of the, one of the websites that I was looking at. It says this. It says, when a male angler matures, its digestive system degenerates, making it impossible for it to feed on its own. And it says this. This is a quote, this next sentence. It must now find a female or die of starvation. (laughs) And I read that and I was like, hey, that's what my life as a bachelor was like. (laughs) And all the bachelors out there know what I'm talking about. Uh, You get tired of of microwavable burritos and that sort of thing. Need to find a female or die of starvation. <laughs> now, that, that's a silly thing. There's, a, there's all kinds of other interesting facts about these anglerfish. I, I forgot to mention this during first service. The way that the fish, the way that the fish gets, it's, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a predator, as you can tell. And um, it, the way that it gets its fish is by, or its prey is by different ways. The deep sea anglerfish actually collects uh, bioluminescent, bioluminescent bacteria on this little thing that, this little fleshy thing that's coming off of its dorsal there. And um, it emits this light uh, from this thing called a, photos, a photosphore and this, all this cool stuff that people know things about. And, uh, and it emits this light. What's interesting, it's like a blue-green light. And uh, its, skin, it, it, um, its skin actually reflects that light. So when its prey is around it, all it sees is the light. It can't see the fish. And the, the, the fish come and are kind of attracted to this light. Now, I was thinking, uh, how do we know anything about this fish, first of all? How do we catch this fish? To me, I would, be, I would think, you know, here's this fish, and he's got this thing hanging over, and he's like this. And then he sees this thing coming over, and he's like, hey, that looks pretty good. And then he would just think, wait a minute. This is how I get my food. <laughs> I ain't biting that thing. You know, so I don't understand how we could ever, maybe nets or something, but I don't think you could ever catch this thing with a lure because it knows all about lures. That's how it works. It lures things into its mouth. And so, uh, anyways, I was thinking another way that we're, we're like this fish uh, are um, we gather bits and pieces of light from God's word, 
from the truths uh, of the principles uh, uh, of God's word, from, from wisdom that we find in God's word, from our own experience and testimony regarding uh, God's word and how it's transformed our life. We mix those together and through our life, uh, mixed together with our good works, our good deeds, we dangle it out in front of non-believers and as they're attracted to the light and they draw closer, snap! They're ingested into the family of God. <laughs> and that's how it works. That's silly, of course, but uh, I thought it was cool. These are the things. You got a youth pastor up here. These are the things I'm talking about. Um, yeah, you're lucky it's as good as it is. I don't know. <clears throat> but that's, that's what we do. We, we live our life in faith in response to what God has done and because of salvation, and then we say, God, how can I serve you? I want to respond to you. I want, I want to live a life of faith. How can I obey you? How can I be a blessing to you and to others? And God says, yes, and I will use that to draw other people to myself. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we've broken that verse down. I hope you understand it maybe a little better. If you're thoroughly confused, go and talk to Pastor Jim afterwards for counseling. Uh, Uh, or somebody else, because I obviously can't help you with that. (laughs) Um, But that's the principle of faith. And there's a practical side of faith. And the practical side of faith is knowing what God has said is true, then responding to that knowledge in obedience. And the Bible tells us in verse two that this is what the ancients were commended for. They were commended for their faith for believing in God's word and responding in obedience. It's interesting, I read that the, um, the word commended there is the word uh, martyr eo, uh, which we get the word martyr from, and uh, martyr simply means a witness, or to bear witness, Mar- martyr eo means to bear witness, and we commonly today think of martyr as somebody who has given their life for the cause of the gospel, and they surely are a witness, a tremendous witness to the truth of God if you're willing to give your life for it that's that says a lot and so we think of martyr that way but really martyr simply means um, to be a witness or to bear witness now what I found interesting was the Lord through his word in this passage is saying this is what the ancients were commended for and so what's happening here God what an honor God is actually bearing witness to these people that he's uh, about to list in, in, the, in the rest of the chapter. He's bearing witness to them. Now we're supposed to bear witness to God and that's certainly what they were doing and, and that's why he's bearing witness to them. But what an honor to have God say you have been committed, commended because of your faith. What an honor to be able to hear God say by faith, Tim, dot, dot, dot. By faith, Susie, dot, dot, dot. I told the first service, by faith, Adam will finish this message and sometimes, sometime soon and not linger on into the wee hours of the day. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But that would be such an honor to hear the Lord say that. To hear the Lord bear witness of us, of course, because we have borne witness of him. He bore witness of his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. And uh, we look at Jesus and we say, then he's the one that we need to follow because if he pleased you then he is our pattern and our example and so um, another interesting thing about this verse is that it's a reminder uh, that faith has always been the basis of relationship with God 
It's always been the basis of relationship. It's always been by faith. Now, God had established a certain pattern in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the old relationship with people or how they are to deal with them. But he set that up to show them that you could never get to me by your own works. Try these things. Here's 10 commandments. See if you can follow them. Here's 613 other laws. See if you can follow them. Here's some rituals and ceremonies that I want you to do. Those things were good and they served a purpose, but ultimately the Bible tells us in Galatians that the law, the old covenant, the old way of things, uh, of doing things in in regard to God was a two to teach us our need for Christ. That's what it was in place for. And so we use that tutor as a good thing, but we don't find our fulfillment, our sustenance in that tutor. The people of, uh, of, of the past, before Christ, were looking forward to Christ, and they believed by faith that he would come because God had promised. The people after the cross, they look back to Christ And by faith they're saved in him by what he has done and what has been revealed to us in that. But everybody is saved by faith and everybody has relationship with God through that faith and through that faith only, that faith in Christ. And so we we see many examples of these commendations of these ancients throughout the rest of the chapter. And we'll finish up this point and then we'll get to those uh, examples, a few of them. By faith, verse three, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And why do we understand this by faith? Why do we understand it? Simply because God told us so and we can trust him. God told us so. God told us that this is the way we are, are to understand it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's simple. Verse one. He just says, I am, and I spoke, and I created. And that should be enough for us. If you have an issue with that, then you have to come to another conclusion of how everything that is here got here out of nothing. What? What is, is your conclusion on, on the ideal of, of origins? I've looked at many different conclusions and I think that this is the best one. And I believe it to be the truth. I know it to be the truth by faith. God was there. He knows what happened. And he told us in his word. It's very simple. J. Vernon McGee, uh, he was right when he said there are only two explanations for the origin of this universe. One is speculation and the other is Revelation. You have either speculation because nobody, n- nobody is alive today that was there except for one and that's God and we receive that truth through his revelation. So you believe either by speculation and by revelation but both are received by faith. Both are received by faith. I said earlier I'm not a scientist by profession but everybody's a scientist. If the word science means knowledge by observation we all observe, we all experiment and we come to conclusions based on our experience and the things that we find doesn't mean that our conclusions are true. Maybe something was wrong with the experiment. Maybe there was some misunderstanding. But we all observe and we all look at this. There's no gap between faith and science. Faith affirms science. And so we look at that and we say, we we will believe what the best conclusion is. And I'd rather believe the one who was there to tell about it than somebody who was left guessing. 
I'm not gonna believe somebody unless they can tell, this is what I say to people. I say, if, if, if this is what you believe and this is what you're telling me, then tell me some of, major, some of the major events that are going to take place in my life in detail. Let me live it out for a while. Give me maybe a year or two. Tell me some specific things. And if they come true, then maybe I'll start believing you because that's why I believe God. He's told us, He's prophesied many things and he's told us the truth about how the world works and about what he's going to do and those things have come true and so we can believe that the things that he said that are yet to come true will come true. They will. We can believe him and um, the reality is is that everybody lives by faith and most if not all of us place our faith in revelation every day. We all live by faith and we all uh, respond to revelation and uh, I was thinking, I didn't tell this in the first service, hope you guys aren't hungry. Um, I, was thinking, <clears throat> I was thinking about uh, you know, something as simple as going grocery shopping. And I imagine going down uh, the, you know, in Safeway, I hate grocery shopping by the way, they always move things around and I don't go there enough to know where everything is. But I find myself in the cereal aisle, I like the cereal aisle, and um, I want some Honey Nut Cheerios. That's one of my favorite cereals. And so I'm walking down looking for that picture of Buzz B and this creative little thing there. And uh, I, I want, I want to, uh, to, to find this box of Honey Nut Cheerios so I can purchase it and consume it. When I get to the box of Cheerios, I look and I see this box and it's got this colorful ink on it and it says Honey Nut Cheerios. And I think, oh, I'm gonna get that box. What am I doing there? I'm responding to a revelation. Do I really know what's in the box? What if I, what if, what if I speculated uh, that, that Cheerios were, were in the box. That means every once in a while, at least, I would take the box of Cheerios, I'd open it up, and I'd dump it out on the floor in the middle of the aisle and look at it and say, pick it up and taste it and say, oh yeah, that's Honey Nut Cheerios, I believe. <laughs> I believe now. But what are we doing? We're responding to a revelation. And what, what about that, re- um, why are we responding to that revelation? Because we trust General Mills that they have <laughs> manufactured and created this box of cereal for us and they have put the label, the correct label on it, and they've set it on the shelf for us to buy and to consume. We don't have to open the box and look inside. It's already been revealed to us by the label what's in there. Now, General Mills, uh, I, I've never, uh, you know, I, I've, I've bought a, a box of Honey Nut Cheerios uh, and it had ants in it. Well, it had ants in it after several weeks of owning it. Uh, but, <laughs> had, man, I... When I was a bachelor, speaking of, there was one time where I had, I, I wanted, I was so hungry and there's hardly any food in the house, of course, and uh, I'm looking around and I can't find anything and I was like, I'm just going to have a bowl of cereal and so I take the, the bowl of cereal, I think it might have been corn pops, I pour it out in the bowl and I look and there's ants. Again, they're always in my cereal. <laughs> always eating my cereal. And so this one time I was so hungry, I looked at those ants, I poured the milk in the cereal and I started eating that bowl <laughs> of cereal. So his ants are not taking my pops. Got to have my pops. That'd make a great pops commercial. But I, I, believe, I believe by faith that General Mills is telling me the truth based off of other, based off of previous experience. That's how we believe God. That's how we believe his revelation. We believe it based off of either prior things that he's told us that have come true or things that we've experienced. We've experienced the truth of what he has said. We, we, um, we believe by faith that God created the universe by his command because he told us he did. He created it from nothing. He created it without anything except for his power and his command. 
He created it, he formed it ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Now we don't understand this. He doesn't explain it to us because we probably wouldn't understand how that works. We only understand creation by making some things out of other things. God does that too, but in the beginning he made everything out of nothing. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not told how it works. I'm just told that it's the truth and that I can believe it. I can't, I can't comprehend that, but I can by faith apprehend it and say, yeah, I believe that this is true. And, um, you know, if he told us, like I said, we probably wouldn't understand. It reminds me of, uh, of um, my nieces. And uh, on Katie's side of the family, I have four nieces, and I think they're five and under, and, and uh, they're all uh, very adorable. And um, whenever we get together, at least in the past, um, I, you know, Uh, They want me to do this thing, which they call the coin trick. Uncle Adam, do the coin trick, do the coin trick. And, uh, you know, I show up like a party clown, and I got the, I got the, the, the quarters, a bunch of quarters in my pocket, and so uh, without them really knowing it, I distribute quarters and hide them around the house, put one in the lamp, put one in a shoe, you know, and, um, and then um, I sit down, and then they come to me, and in the course of time, and they say, coin trick, we want to see the coin trick, and so I have some more quarters, and I take them out, and I put a quarter in my hand, and I do this thing where I make it disappear. It's really cool. <laughs> and uh, I make it disappear, and then they, you know, it, it's in my hand one moment, I do something, and then they pry open my hand, and it's gone. And they look at me like, where did it go? I said, I don't know. I said, check, check on the coffee table. No, no. Check over there. No. Check in the shoe. how does that happen? Now, after I do this a few times, you know, I decide, okay, I want to explain to her. I don't want her to think that I'm lying to her or deceiving her or that magic is is real. It's just sleight of hand. And so I I try to explain to her how it is that I'm doing it. I say, it's not not real. I'm not magic. I'm just taking taking this quarter and I'm doing something to make you think that it disappears. And then there's, and then when you look in the shoe, there's another quarter there because I've placed it, I've placed it there beforehand. And she, and my niece, she looked at me like this. She's like, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why do you mean that's amazing? And she's like, you do this thing with your hand and somehow you throw the quarter into the shoe. <laughs> and she was more amazed that I could do something and throw the quarter into the shoe than I could actually make it disappear and reappear somewhere else. She didn't understand what was taking place. It was hilarious. And I think, uh, sometimes I think that's how it would be for us. You know, Lord, explain this to us. And he would explain it to us and we would just be like, yeah, that's amazing. So it works like this. And he'd be like, no, never mind. I just won't tell you in the first place. We, we understand not on the basis of knowing how it works, but on the basis of knowing that the one who told us it is so is completely trustworthy. That's how we understand and we express our faith through that and we see these expressions of faith now in verse four. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Now we read in Genesis chapter four, uh, verses one through five, that Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Later she gave birth to Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked, at, looked with favor upon Abel and his offering. 
but upon Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. We see here that Abel's offering was better because he had brought what the Lord had required. And some may say, well, it doesn't doesn't expressly say that in the scripture, Uh, but I would say that the Lord had definitely implied it in principle. And we see in... um, in, uh, in Genesis chapter three, they're the fall. Adam and Eve rebel against God and they are, uh, they realize, they look at each other and they realize, wow, we're naked, that's not good. And so they decide they need to clothe themselves. So they clothe themselves with fig leaves. And, um, and then the, the Bible says the Lord God came walking in the cool of the garden and um, he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, well, I was hiding. And I, I believe that God knew where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to think about where he was and if his sin had gotten him anywhere. And so he says, I was hiding. I said, why, why, were, you, why were you hiding? Because I was afraid we were, because we're, we're naked. And he said, who told you that you're naked? And then there, there goes this whole thing, this whole blaming game. And, and um, you know, the, the, the Lord said, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? And Adam goes, He said, the wife, that you, the, the wife that you gave me offered some of the, of the fruit to me and so I took it and I ate it. And then God says, Eve, what's, what's up with that? And, uh, and, and Eve said, well, the, the serpent uh, tricked me and, and deceived me into taking of the fruit. And so the, the Lord then speaks to the serpent, the, the serpent of old, the devil. And he says to him this promise, it's a wonderful promise. It's the gospel in Genesis chapter three and verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours and he will uh, crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a reference to the crucifixion of Christ, to the, to the death of Christ on the cross that, that God set into motion this plan of redemption right there in the beginning it's Christianity 101. People say, well, Christian, there's older religions than Christianity. No, it's rooted. It's, you you might, might not have seen the fruit of Christianity until later, but it's rooted deep in the foundations of the beginning of creation. Genesis chapter three and verse 15, God said, I'm going to bring somebody out of you, out of the woman, that's going to undo this. He's going to take back what is rightfully mine by recreation, and he's gonna do it through redemption. And after that, He symbolized that by not clothing them in fig leaves like they had clothed themselves, but clothing them in animal skins, signifying that in order for sin to be atoned for, which means covered over, there needed to be a death. There needed to be shedding of blood because they had sinned against the holy God and the payment is death. So rather than killing them, he said, well, We'll, make the, we'll have this symbol of a sacrifice and we'll cover you with these animal skins. And so that's what he did. And so we have the promise of Genesis, 3, uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 15. We have the example of what happened with Adam and Eve. And so now it comes down to, to Cain and Abel and, uh, and Cain's born and, and Eve says, this is, this is the man. This is the man that God had promised. That's what she thought. But it turns out that Cain wasn't the Messiah. He was a murderer. He murdered his brother because of jealousy and envy. And, uh, and she also had Abel and, and Abel was there and I have to believe that, that they knew the commandment of God that in order for sin to be atoned for, to be covered, there had to be a sacrifice and, we, and they would offer it 
in faith. And that's what Hebrews tells us. He offered a better sacrifice. It's interesting. It says the firstborn of his flock, which we know that Christ is the firstborn and the firstfruits. And, and so the Lord looked with favor upon Abel's sacrifice because it was a sacrifice of blood. He had told them Cain and Abel had the same information, just like we all do. But the difference was that Cain said, no, I'm gonna come to you with my own works. I'm gonna prepare a salad for you and bring it before you. You said you wanted a sacrifice. You said you wanted um, uh, that there needed to be shedding of blood, but that sounds a little harsh, so why don't I just bring you the works of my hands? And many people are going the way of Cain today. That's what they think. They can earn God's salvation and forgiveness through their own works. It's not true. God demonstrates this for us, even through Abel, and that's why it says even though he is dead, he still speaks. He is testifying to us that the, the way of salvation is through his sacrifice. Now, did Abel believe that, the, that the, the lamb being slain was gonna forgive his sin? I don't think he did. I think he looked ahead to Christ and said, God has promised, and so I'm doing this in obedience. He told me to do it, but I'm looking at it as a symbol of what's to come, Jesus Christ. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and in him I'll find redemption I'm just being obedient and so the Lord says he still speaks by that faith Cain tried to silence him but by his faith he still speaks and then we look at Enoch there in verse 5 by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death he could not be found because God had taken him away for before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased God now there's not a whole lot in the Bible uh, mentioned about Enoch, but there's a few big statements, and so we'll look at those. In Genesis chapter five and verse 24, it says that uh, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. I don't know what happened there. I don't know. What, God, God worked differently with Abel than he did with uh, Enoch. Abel was taken by a tragedy, and Enoch was taken by translation. He was translated from this world into heaven. And why is this? I don't know. God sees fit to allow our circumstances to be different for some reason. And I don't think we'll know the answer to that until we're able to be there and to receive more knowledge than we're able to process at this time. So while Abel's faith testified to the salvation of God, which it certainly did by the sacrifice that he gave, um, Enoch's te uh, faith testified to the judgment of God. Jude told us, there he is. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about, the, about these godless men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so in one sense, we believe by faith that Jesus came for the first time as a lamb and he laid his life down for us and we obtained salvation simply through our faith in him it's not even our faith that saves us he saves us faith is just the conduit which we receive his grace through he saves us he is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that's jesus and that's what abel told us and by faith we believe uh, along with enoch that jesus will come again to call to account those who have rejected him and the payment that he has made for their salvation. If you want to be re re reconciled to God, if you want to have eternal life, these are the means, these are the terms. Some people say, well, that's narrow-minded. Well, it is. 
Everything, a lot of things that we do are narrow-minded. By the way, tolerance is a myth. As soon as you say, I hate tolerance, you've become intolerant about tolerance. So everybody's intolerant about something. And uh, it just turns out that most people are intolerant about Christians because we say that this is the truth and it burns inside them with conviction that it could be, but we don't want that. We want our own thing. And so they reject the gospel. They reject the payment made. The thing about it is if we had to come with works, there wouldn't be, you live half your life and one day uh, not serving the Lord and then the next 49% of your life serving the Lord. When he weighs good versus bad, what's gonna happen? It doesn't matter how hard you worked. You had, you had a lot worse things in your life than you had that were good. And we have to look at God's standard of good and bad because it's a lot deeper than, we, than what we think about it. But through Christ, what does he do? He says to the thief on the cross who's about to, about to lose his life next to him. Both, both thieves that were crucified with the Jesus, they both were heaping insults upon Jesus and saying, if you're the son of man, why don't you get, don't you get off the cross? You know? He saved others, he can't save himself. These are the, mock, the, the statements of mockery that were being heaped upon Jesus as he's been put on the cross. Was he... Was he uh, speaking mockery to these guys? No, he was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in the process of time, the two thieves that were crucified next to him, one of them realized, wow, this man is not like any other man. And he says to the other thief, why are you still mocking him? Can't you see this man is innocent? We're guilty for our sins, but this man is innocent. I believe that now. No man would handle this torture, this execution this way. There's something different. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him. He tells him, I tell you this day, you will be with me in paradise. No other way comes close to that reality. This man had lived a sinful life all of his life and he had a change of heart and he said, I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. And Jesus said, it's yours. So if you call that narrow-minded, that's fine, but you try to get your way to God, you can only come to God one of two ways, by your own works or by faith. Nobody's works will ever be good enough and so you'll be destined to continue to pay for your sin for eternity. An everlasting condemnation and separation from the living God because that's what you wanted. You didn't receive the free gift that Jesus offered. If, if salvation could be obtained by works or by our own efforts, then Christ died on the cross for, for no reason. Why would, why would God have to send his son to the cross to die for us if we could do it ourselves? Saying, I don't need that, I can do it on my own is like slapping Christ, uh, God across the face. When God has said, I gave everything for you to be reconciled to me, everything and you didn't receive it. You thought that what you could do was better. I gave my son. You thought what you could do was better. And so Abel and Enoch were commended for their faith that they pleased God. And that brings us to our closing point here, expectation of faith. And without faith, verse six, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I won't spend much time here, but... I just want to say that we could never please God outside of placing our faith in his son. 
Jesus is the only one who pleased God. He's the only one who earned God's favor. And the only place that we could please God or earn God's favor is under the, the protective umbrella of Christ and his righteousness. That is where we find salvation. That is where we find the place that we can please God. And in that, if we believe that he exists and we diligently seek him, then we will receive reward. That's what the Bible says here in this last verse. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. The scripture again teaches us that salvation is only through faith in God, but once we have that salvation, we add to our life the faithfulness of good deeds done to the Lord. And I'm not talking about walking old ladies across the street or uh, doing a, a, a canned food drive, although those things are good and they can be good works, but the works of serving the Lord are to believe in Jesus and to surrender to him and say, my life is available to you as a living sacrifice because you laid your life down for me and so I offer my life back to you and I want to obey your commands. And the Bible tells us the commands of God are not burdensome. They're for our benefit. They're for our joy. They're for our protection. And so we do well to obey his commands and to live this life of faith. And here's the thing, guys. A lot of people... They, they're stuck, I think, especially in our culture, they're stuck on the idea that, well, I, I, you know, I'm not really, God saved me and I'm not really working for anything. I, I just want, you know, to be faithful. I don't, you know, really care about reward. Christian, you need to care about your reward. The Bible makes that clear. Because what you do in this life will, def- will, will define what your opportunity and responsibility is for the rest of eternity. Now you will be saved simply by faith in Christ and if you want to be what's called a couch Christian then, then, then you can be as long as you've evaluated your life and you know that you are saved. But I believe that the evidence of your faith will be works unto reward. Paul talked about reward. He said, I have fought the fight. I'm running to win the race. God has set out an exceedingly great reward for me and I want to get that with all my getting, with all my heart. And so it's motivation for us. Anybody who has this hope purifies himself and lives according to the word of God. He wants us to trust him by faith. It's reasonable. It's logical. It's the right thing to do. It's rewarding. And ultimately, he tells us in his word that the, the pinnacle of that reward, the exceedingly great reward, is Christ himself and the relationship that we have with them. It's being reunited to our creator God and reestablished in relationship with him. And uh, that's what I pray all of you have done and, and, and or will do uh, because you don't want to live another day separated from the author of life. He is good, he is trustworthy, he is true, he is faithful, and he's our savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the message of your word. We thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us in such powerful ways. And God, you desire uh, to not only make yourself known to us, but to make yourself known through us. 
And so God, we look to you with eyes of faith. We don't see the things that are invisible because they need light to be shined upon them. But through eyes of faith, we can see them. And there's substance, there's evidence. There is great reason to trust in you. And it's hard to do because most, most of the time, at least in my experience, I walk by sight and not by faith. Now, Lord, help me to walk by faith and not by sight so that I can see you, I can see the realities that you have shown me and that I know are real and the ones that you want to show me. So we just thank you, Lord, for this word. We pray that you would stir up our hearts in faith and you would increase in our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we worship with a closing song. I looked at my clock and it says I'm right on time. I think your guys' clocks have been set too far forward or something. I really do apologize for going longer than usual, but hey, now you look forward to having Pastor Ross back in the the podium. Um, I just want to close with this and say, you know, we, we talked about faith and we talked about what we can get through faith. We can receive the power of obedience. We can receive grace through faith. Um, combined with humility also helps us to receive grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But where does faith come from? Maybe you're wondering, I I want more faith. I want to be established in my faith. Well, it comes from the message of God's word. It comes from the message of God's word. And here's another one of those formulas. Where does faith come from? I'm sorry, uh, David, could you go to uh, Romans 10, 17 there? Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17, it's that simple. Faith comes from hearing the message. You hear the message of God's word and you say, yes, I believe that and I want that in my life. That's how you get faith and through faith, you receive all other things, struggles, uh, things that you're dealing with in your life that can be dealt with through faith because our faith is placed in a great God. Maybe you're struggling with sin and temptation. The Bible says, how can a person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible also says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Maybe you're dealing with the issue of anger. You say, Lord, I do have this problem of anger and it needs to be controlled in my life. The word says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Maybe you've trusted in Jesus, but you're afraid because you're not sure if you're really saved or not. God's word has the answer for you. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus? If you sincerely have, the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. Don't question God when he gives this promise. If anybody knows, he knows. You can trust him. Maybe it's something else that you need. Friends, whatever it is, the word of God has the answer and the power uh, to meet those needs in your life. He's promised that. And the one who promised is faithful and true. And so this message is really about God's word because that's where we get faith. 
It's through the message of God's word, hearing the word of Christ. And I memorize these scriptures because it's my job. I memorize them because I need them. I struggle with all those things. And so I needed God's power in my life. And so I committed those scriptures to memory so I could remind myself that the Holy Spirit could bring those things up in my life and say, this is the truth. This is what God has said. And you can believe this. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what other people are saying, this is the truth. And that adds to my faith and I believe God. And so we need to be in God's word. That's how we become a people of faith. And I'll leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And so I challenge you to go home and not tear up your Bible and throw it on the floor, but to get into it, to mark it up, to read, to study. We need God's word in our life. That's where our power comes from, Christian. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. You've revealed yourself to us. Carlin reminded us on Wednesday night that you revealed yourself to us through creation. Your word tells us that you revealed yourself to us through our conscience. And Carlin also reminded us that it doesn't stop at that. We also uh, have revelation from you, a special revelation through your word. You've made uh, known to us what you're you're like, who you are, what your nature is, what your attributes are, and how we can respond. Um, in light of those things. Thank you, Lord, for those truths. Help us to apply, to be hearers and to be doers, applying your word to our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer or you need, uh, you're, you're wondering what, what is this thing about God, about his word, you need anything, please go to the cross and receive prayer there. There are people there who are wanting to talk to you and they'll help you with whatever it is you need. God bless you and we'll see you on Wednesday night. Yeah.